As we continue a look upon God and his attributes, we're going to be kind of jumping into the middle of paragraph one of chapter two of the confession. But I want to start back at the beginning to continue to to remind us of kind of what we've looked at in previous weeks. Paragraph one and sorry, it's not in on your page, but it says the Lord, our God is but one only living and true God whose subsistence is in and of himself infinite in being and perfection whose essence cannot be comprehended by any but himself a most pure spirit invisible without body parts or passions who only hath immortality dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto and then here's where we pick up who is immutable, immense, eternal, incomprehensible, almighty, every way infinite, most holy, most wise, most free, most absolute, working all things according to the counsel of his own immutable and most righteous will for his own glory. Very easily we could spend weeks upon even just those phrases. But as we've kind of considered and you can, you want any type of study upon the attributes of God, often they're divided into two different um, categories, communicable and incommunicable. We kind of understanding uh, communicable, meaning things that pass from one to the other, things that are similar, incommunicable, would be the opposite of that. A easier way I've understood it is the communicable attributes as mankind, we share more in relation with God than incommunicable. That incommunicable um, often are said to be only of God, yet we say that only he is holy, but we're commanded to be holy. Though we're not, that's where I say we share much less. We are not as holy as he is. He possesses all absolute perfections in and of himself in those incommunicable attributes. And we are only in relation as his creatures. So as we look at these tonight, I think I said it last time we met. Anytime we begin to define God's attributes, we are limiting him. Anytime we put a pen to paper, anytime we begin to try to describe him, we are limiting him because he is beyond all that we could ever write or think or even imagine. That doesn't mean we don't try to understand him. But the reason I've tried to group these things together is because they kind of hang around this one phrase, every way infinite. Of all of these attributes that we kind of have in, in this partial sentence, God has these to the infinite degree. And that alone should cause us to praise him. That should cause us to be reminded that we are altogether unlike him. Because even on our best of days, we might only have these infinitesimally small attributes. But he has them every way infinite. And that's where we have to get to this understanding that God is not just a greater version of mankind. 
He is altogether not like us. And so when we study him, as we try to put terms on him, those are tools that he's blessed us with, words and phrases and attributes that he has revealed of himself to try to get our minds to somewhat grasp him. But we should never in our pride think that we are fully going to be able to grasp God. Or another way to say this, that he is infinity, that That concept is difficult for us to even understand. We see the infinity symbol and we're like, okay. But to try to, as a finite being, to understand infinity, it's impossible. We can can understand aspects of it. And so when we say that God is infinite in his knowledge or his power, we mean that he knows all things. And so let's consider these. First of all, it says, speaking of God, who is immutable. Immutable, the dictionary definition is unliable to change. Maybe more simply put, he does not change. J.I. Packer describes God's immutability by saying, His entire freedom from change. What a beautiful truth that is of God. That he is completely in freedom from change. Again, we don't understand that. From the moment of our birth, even from the moment of our conception, we are at continual change. Change is not necessarily bad when it comes to human beings. But... There's often a progression of of growth and then of deterioration. My body's feeling more of the deterioration as the gray in my hair is becoming more obvious. But so it is not with God. He is not apt to change. And J.I. Packer continues that phrase or that sentence. He says, leading to entire consistency in action. Another way to say that is, that there is nothing that compels God to do anything because he is free from those controls. It, often we, we look at his attributes be, and we can't just pull one out. Because an attribute, as we've been reminded, it's not just a piece of God. We don't divide God and say, okay, here is his holiness and here is his righteousness and here is his love. Those things are who and what he is. And so when we look at one attribute, it's always defined by those other attributes. And his immutability, really, because of his nature, it affects all of those. What a joyful truth that is. In Malachi 3, 6, I, the Lord, do not change. But what's the second half of that verse? What's that? Yeah, therefore you are not consumed. Praise God. Uh, on the, the way here, we were, we were listening to a sermon and, and the, the pastor said, if we got what we deserved, it's judgment right now. Actually, it would have been long before this. But God is withholding his judgment and he is 
withholding that because he has said there is an appointed time. And that appointed time does not change. He ordered it and it will stay that way. The day of Christ's return is appointed. There is nothing that we can add to or shorten that. Praise God. That he does all his holy, what's the catechism question? Will. Yeah. He does it perfectly and he does all of it. 100% of the time. God bats a thousand. And I'm thankful for that. Because it means we can trust him. It means he's going to do what he said he's going to do. When God said to the children of Israel, I will bring you out of Egypt, there was no question. He heard the groanings of Israel and he remembered his covenant. Because he does not change, he is the covenant-keeping God. And what a great joy that is to be reminded that his immutability is a great comfort. At the same time, it's a great humbling point to be reminded that his judgment will come. That God does not change and go, well, I was a holy God then and I'll just let this slide now. That 100% of his wrath upon sin will have to be paid either by us or by the perfect lamb of God. So he is immutable. He does not change. Secondly, he is Immense. This is speaking of his size or his vastness, his transcendence upon through all space, and he's not subject to limitations. First Kings eight twenty seven says, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you. How much less than this temple which I have built? We recognize that God is omnipresent, that his imminence and his presence fills every space with his being. That's why Jeremiah 23, 23 says, am I a God near at hand, says the Lord, and not a God far off? That he's both. The space and time don't limit him. His omnipresence, his immensity, his transcendence. We do understand that there's a a manifest presence that would take place in the pillar of fire or the cloud or in the tabernacle or the temple. But that was a manifest presence. That was not his full essence. And so he, we can with the psalmist say, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee? If I go here, you're there. If I go there, you're there. What's What's the response of the psalmist? Oh, such a thought is too wonderful for me. Anytime we begin to take a study of the attributes of God and do, those things don't lead to worship, we've disconnected. These are not to just be intellectual facts, but they lead us to sing and to praise him with knowledge, to recognize and to declare who he is. He's immutable. He's immense. He is eternal. Again, his immensity, his space is not determined by anything. For he is, um, he is omnipresent, but then he is eternal. Psalm 90 verse 2. 
before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. From one span of eternity to the other span of eternity, he is God. Again, as the psalmist wrote Psalm 90, there was a a great comfort that would come from that. But later in Psalm 90, it says, oh, teach us to number our days. God is eternal. We are finite. In light of his infinitude of time and space, we are finite and we bow to him for he alone is God. Continues, he's immutable, immense, eternal, incomprehensible. We looked at this a couple weeks ago where his essence cannot be comprehended by any but himself, meaning at his core, at his fullness, we cannot comprehend. Only God himself can. And so we stand understanding we cannot fully understand him. We are limited in our knowledge of him. Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord. Too often in our pride, we say, why God? Too often in our pride, we say, who are you, God, to do this? He is every way infinite. Incomprehensible. And then almighty. One author used this phrase, infinite efficiency. He has absolute unlimited power to do whatsoever his nature determines him to will. God speaking to Abram in Genesis 17, 1, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am almighty God, walk before me and be blameless. Consider those words before he would give that promise to Abram. Remember, I am almighty God, that I am the God who is able to do above and beyond all that you can ask, think, or imagine. And yet Abram still stood in awe and said, Lord, Sarai questioned, and we see the sin of Her questioning and Abram's complicitness in that when they doubted God's almighty nature. For he is infinite in every way. Then the second half of this part of the sentence we're looking at. Most holy, most wise, most free, most absolute. All of these things again are are coming around this crux of in every way infinite, but written in a way that reminds us that he is the most holy one. The psalmist even declares that, that he is most holy God, that he is most wise, most free, and most absolute. In, In each of those things, most holy, that he is the most set apart. He is most wise, the quality or the quantity of his knowledge. 
We looked at two weeks ago, 1 Timothy, now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise. But then it uses the phrase most free. Again, looking back to his immutability, things and his impassibility, the things that do not change, he cannot change. But then there's this phrase that was kind of odd, most absolute, not, not a way that we would normally say, hey, God is most absolute. Let me just read Louis, um, Louis Burkhoff uh, states, but when absolute is defined as the first cause of all things or as the ultimate ground of all reality or the self-existent being, he's kind of using those synonymously, it can be considered as identical with the God of the theology, the center of who we are looking at. He is the infinite one who does not exist in any necessary relations, meaning he's standing alone. He goes on to say, because he is self-sufficient, but at the same time, he can freely enter into various relationships with his creation as a whole or, and with his creatures. Again, he stands alone apart from creation. He alone is absolute, in need of nothing. Yet, it is his own free will that chooses to interact with us as creation. We, we looked about that in, um, in the area of special revelation. The only things that we know about God are what he has communicated to us specifically. Of his own free will, he did that. He was not compelled to. And so what should that lead us to? Praise. That God has said, here's what I'm like. It should cause us to continue to study. And being absolute, being free, being wise and set apart, he works all things according to the counsel of his own immutable and most righteous will. I'm not going to hit on this because um, we're going to. There's a whole section on the decree of God in the in the confession, but I, I want us to be reminded that any time we take one of God's attributes and remove it from His other attributes, we've created a false god. He is one hundred percent. He has each of His attributes one hundred percent. That He is a sum of. All of that, all together, all the time, and we cannot divide him. And so it is, we can stand and we can worship and we can be grateful for the infinite God who has revealed himself. And what that does is it makes the incarnation even greater. For we understand greater the humility that Christ took upon When we read in Philippians 2, though he was equal with God, he did not consider that. What that is, is his attitude toward that. For he took upon the flesh of his creation. He humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The one who is worthy of all praise and honor came In a most humble way. Not with palaces and thrones and dominions on this earth. But one in great humility. And so we 
just stand in awe of Christ, the Son, coming. So again, we consider each one of these, maybe even younger kids, if we understand this. He is every way infinite. Without sin. Put any attribute, any acknowledgement, he is that to the infinite. And praise him. Praise him for that. Stand in awe and continue to consider him that you might know him better, to worship him better, that he might be glorified in that.